Hi, I'm Rosie Acosta. I'm a meditation teacher, speaker, and author of You Are Radically Loved, a healing journey to self-love. Look, I grew up in East Los Angeles during the 92 LA riots, and it set me on a troubled path. I didn't grow up with mentors in my life, so I turned to reading as many books as I possibly could to learn about the purpose of life. In my journey, I found that having these conversations gave me life, and I decided I wanted to create a place where I could share these conversations with my community. So come have a sit with me as we learn about, well, everything. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another amazing episode of Radically Loved. I am standing in for your amazing host today. I'm standing in for Rosie Acosta. This is Tessa. You probably recognize my voice from Wisdom Wednesdays and some introductions. So I'm super happy to be here with an amazing guest. And I will introduce her, Nadine Kenny Johnstone. She is the author and writing coach and meditator and yoga nidra instructor. Nadine also has her own podcast called Heart of the Story. Her memoir of this much, I'm sure, was named Book of the Year by the Chicago Writers Association. What an amazing, that's so cool. Side note, congrats (laughs) on that. One of Nadine's specialties is helping women publish their memoirs, and she leads journaling, meditation, and wellness retreats and workshops nationally with her chef husband. Whoa, how cool is that? I want to talk about that. (laughs) You can meet Nadine and find out about a unique and daily technique for journaling, which we're going to go into, so we'll we'll describe that here today, and, and I'll make sure that links for all of those resources for you, dear listeners, are in our show notes, so you can do the work yourself. Nadine, welcome to the show. How are you? Uh, Tessa, thank you so much for having me. I've been really looking forward to this and I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, likewise. I've been looking, we've been trying to get this on the books and happening for mm, a few months now, I want to say. So it's just, it feels like a long time coming. I kind of feel like I already know you because of all the back and forth. So I'm I'm just so happy that we get to chat live today. Yeah, I am too. Your memoir of this much, I'm sure that's, it's fairly recently new out, right? It's actually, you know, we, I just celebrated the five-year anniversary of its oh publication, but it seems like it was just yesterday in some ways. And then it seems like a lifetime ago in other yeah. ways. I wrote about our infertility journey, uh-huh. which has a happy ending, who is eight and a half years old, <laughs> our son, oh Gio. And so I wrote it during my pregnancy with him and in his first year of life. And then it came out in 2017. Mm -hmm. And I'm really, really happy that it went out into the world because infertility was something that so many people have a hard time talking about, or if they have a friend going through it, they don't know what to say. And the book came out during National Infertility Awareness Week five years ago. And so every April during that week, I like to talk about infertility in general and just kind of raise awareness and just remind people that you don't have to have like the perfect thing to say. All you have to do is really like listen and hug whoever is going through it. But writing that memoir, everybody says writing is therapeutic and it was, but it was actually a way of kind of getting the pain outside of my body and onto the page. Mm -hmm. And then eventually when the book went out into the world, I was really happy to know that other women could read it and feel less alone and just 
know that somebody else was going through it too. And as they were reading, they could kind of nod along and nod along and say, yeah, I'm going through that. And, and my husband and I got these wonderful notes from couples all over the world and people all over the world saying, thanks for sharing your story. It made me feel less alone. So that's been the true kind of beauty of, of being able to put the book out into the world. Mm, I love that. I'm curious though, what happens when it's not a happy ending? I mean, I'm I'm so happy to hear that yours is. And I wonder because infertility, like you mentioned, is something that, I don't know, it, it seems like it's starting to be p- more part of the common vernacular, something that's less taboo that we, we are starting to talk about more openly. But I, my guess is, and in my experience, in my little orbit of the world, I have a lot of friends who don't have that happy ending. What then? Mm-hmm, exactly. And for a long time, there wasn't a happy ending for us. And Mm -hmm. I would get upset sometimes when I would hear successful stories because I would just feel really jealous and, and alone. And so the vast majority of the book, you know, doesn't talk about the happy ending. The vast majority of the book is is simply about the struggle because Mm -hmm. it's a way of recognizing that for many of us, whether it's infertility or something else, we're in the middle of something, all of us, anybody who's listening right now, if it's not infertility, it, it could be any vast number of things, a family health issue, someone going through addiction, marital struggles, finances, it doesn't matter. All of us are in some kind of struggle. And so really a lot of the book is more about how do we keep on going? How do we put a foot forward each day when we're in the middle of that muck and it just feels so hard? So so most of my writing is about that. Even on the podcast, when I share stories on Heart of the Story in my podcast, I, a lot of it is simply about how do we keep going now when mm-hmm. there might be a lot of uncertainty and, and no true happy ending in sight. And a lot of it is simply about recognizing the beauty and the struggle that we're going to through Glennon Doyle, you know, calls it brutal, <laughs> the yeah, brutal yeah. and the beautiful at the same time and yeah. acknowledging the existence of both. During Prime Week, there are a ton of great online offers to choose from, but none are as valuable as improving your health and adding years to your life. Inside Tracker lets you take control of your wellness by providing a personalized health analysis that goes well beyond what you get with your annual blood work. Based on your data, you'll receive a customizable action plan with nutrition supplement and fitness recommendations to help you do the things you love with the people you love for longer. Until July 15th, take advantage of exclusive Prime savings with 31% off of your entire Inside Tracker order. You can get a clear and comprehensive picture of what's going on inside. Put yourself on the path to living healthier, longer with Inside Tracker. Go to insidetracker.com forward slash loved so you can get 31% off for a limited time. That's insidetracker.com forward slash loved. That's insidetracker.com forward slash loved. There's a great Khalil Gibran poem. Are you familiar with the poet Khalil Gibran? No. There's a book called The Prophet, and it it reads like slash short essay slash poetry. And there's like on each subject, there's a passage and there's one that is talk to me about joy. And it's such a beautiful juxtaposition of your joy is your sorrow unmasked. And how could it be otherwise? Because they're intrinsically linked. And I'm very 
loosely paraphrasing that and getting it completely yeah. wrong, but it speaks to what you're saying about the brutal, how the brutal and the beautiful, they, they go hand in hand. And I think it's so important to recognize these things as intrinsically linked and things that we embrace equally, if we can, you know, do that work of embracing the brutal equally as much as the beautiful, because really, in my mind, I think, well, how would I even know if I didn't have the juxtaposition of what sorrow was, how would I really know what joy was? Does that make sense? Completely, completely. First of all, I'm putting that book on my list. I'm a huge book nerd, as you already know. But, you know, I was just talking about this on my podcast. I I recently wrote an essay um, about this very thing because last spring, within a span of 24 hours, I lost my father in his battle to cancer at age 57. Mm -hmm. And my sister got engaged within a span of 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And my parents divorced when I was young and then my mom remarried and had my sister. And so, you know, it was like, it was learning that my sister's boyfriend was going to propose to her on the same day, learning that my biological father wasn't, was leaving this world Mm -hmm. and holding my father's hand. And then just hours later, enveloping my sister and like, how do you hold love and loss at the same time? And it is so complicated. And so I, I just wrote about this very thing. And what I always find, what I was saying in my essay is love isn't the opposite of loss. It's the answer to it. So whenever I'm feeling just consumed by loss and I don't know what to do, The first thing that I turn to when I can get some clarity is, okay, I'm going to love my people right now because that's the only thing I can do in the face of real hardship. I'm going to squeeze my people right now and show them some love. Mm, I love that so much. And first of all, I'm so sorry for your loss, for your father. That seems like such a young age to lose someone so close to you. I'm curious if you wouldn't mind telling me about the experience of being in that loss. Were you there with your father as he passed? Yeah, so I got, um, we learned in 2020 that about his diagnosis, and then he seemed to be doing better. But I think we realized later that he didn't want the people who loved him to know possibly that maybe it wasn't as it wasn't going the treatments weren't going as well as as he was letting on mm-hmm. that's our, our thought anyway and so so last April I was at my desk in my office and I knew he had gone back into the hospital for like the minor thing mm-hmm. and then suddenly I got the phone call from the hospital that things had taken a, a turn and so I, I sped there and given this is in the time of COVID right and so I had just gotten I believe my first vaccine but things you know were still really hard in the hospitals and they were letting people in only like one or two people at a time for a short amount of time and so mm-hmm. there's navigating that right and so I went there and got to be with him and hold his hand and then the next day is when my sister got engaged and I was returning to the hospital on the Sunday and like I got to be with him on Friday and then was returning to the hospital on Sunday and he passed before I got there. 
so, so grateful that I'd gotten to see him on the Friday and hold his hand and, and talk to him. And, and just yesterday, yesterday was the one year anniversary of his passing. And it was kind of one of those things like, what do you do? What do you do when you're feeling just pummeled by loss. And so my father's side of the family is from Ireland. And so we have a dear cousin, John, who lives in Ireland. And so yesterday, what we did is we got on the phone and we just shared a bunch of funny stories about my father and our whole Kenny family. And just being able to share memories and and laugh and even in the midst of this like we were crying laughing at the same time and hearing my cousins you know Irish brogue and being able to have that that connection was one way of honoring my father in the midst of also being so sad that his life was cut short mm, yeah absolutely it makes me well, first of all, it makes me kind of tear up and think about when that time comes for, I mean, I, I feel like anyone can empathize with this as they're listening. What will happen when my parents pass? Will I be able to be there with them? And in those final moments, what do you say to each other? Are there ways to say goodbye? Are there ways to honor each other and acknowledge again, hey, you know, I'm here. I love you. I'm thinking about this in terms of specifically my mother-in-law passed away from COVID in February of 2021. So it's been just a tiny bit over a year. Mm -hmm. And my husband was lucky enough to be there from that side of the family's from Mexico. So he was lucky enough to fly down and be there with her through her final weeks. But the moment of her death, it's really quite interesting to me that none of her children were home. The only one that was home in the house with her was her husband. And it was almost like she chose that moment to pass. And I don't know, you know, I don't know what happens at that moment of death. It's, you know, one of those great mysteries, but I just wonder about who, when we're passing away, when in those final moments, who is with us and what do we say to each other? And maybe it's not even what do we say to each other, but it's how, how are we being with each other in those final moments? I don't know if you care to share anything more about the passing. There's so many other things I do want to talk to you about, but I feel like this is such a a relevant and deep topic that it's, it's worth. Yeah. 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 It is so interesting about who is there or when a soul chooses to go. I do feel grateful that on the Friday when I was there with my father and at that point, he wasn't really responding or Mm -hmm. speaking, but I hoped that he could hear. And so, so when I was holding his hand, I talked a lot about that he did a really good job because Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that he heard that because our relationship was one complicated by divorce and everything that comes with that. Especially my parents got divorced when I was very young, like two. And Mm -hmm. so while I got to see him on Sundays as I was growing up, when we really got to start bonding with each other is um, when I became a young adult, we went on trips together. So we went to Ireland together to meet 
my family and all these cousins. And we went to Hawaii together with, with my husband and my father and my grandma, Kenny, um, to see where I was born because I, my father was in the military. So I was born in Honolulu near the military base there. And so I got to see that and we got to bond. And so I just felt that it was really important for him to know that he had done a good job and that I appreciated that bond that got stronger and stronger over the years. So that felt really, really important to share with him. So my hope is that he heard those words. Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing that. So, so precious. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and I think this relates to the topic that we really want to dive into, and that is the topic of self-care. And I know you're very passionate about writing and journaling as a form of self-care. Will you tell me about that process? Yeah, yeah. And it is weird because when I first started writing, I went to graduate school for writing. That's how excited and invested Mm -hmm. I was. But I first started as a fiction writer Mm -hmm. and I was writing very thinly veiled autobiography because they didn't feel like my life was exciting enough or important enough to just share straightforwardly. And it wasn't until my husband and I were going through infertility that all I could write was straightforward nonfiction. I couldn't write fiction anymore because what we were going through just felt like it needed to be processed. So I happened to write this essay about the process and the heartache and a writing mentor encouraged me to write that and to send it out. And still I felt like who could even relate to this or will they think I'm strange? And I had all these thoughts. I wasn't used to writing so openly and vulnerably and raw. And I submitted the essay to a magazine and they got back to me right away and wanted to publish it. And ironically enough, it was for their parenting issue. And I had an essay that was about not being able at that time to become a parent. And so I really didn't think they would go for it, but they did immediately. And kind of different from my other work, I ended up getting all these personal responses to it from readers. And that's when I realized like, maybe there is something here. There is something really healing about writing the truth and writing what you're going through. And so fast forward, I I realized that anytime I was writing something honest and true and vulnerable, not in an oversharing way, but just like, this is what we're going through. Maybe I'm not alone. Without fail, the resounding response was yes, and me too, and all of these other, you know, just affirmations and validations that yes, I'm going through that too from a reader. And so what I wanted was for other women to experience that too. And so Mm -hmm. just kind of organically, as I would present at writing workshops and things, I got the opportunity to mentor women writers and talk to them about their writing. And one day, one of the women said, can you coach me? I want to write a book and I don't know how to do it. And you've done it. So can you coach me? Mm. And she was in her her early eighties and like, she was like, I want to get this out. I want my grandkids to read it. And so I was like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's try. And I found that as I helped her with the craft, what I was also really doing kind of on an emotional level was giving permission. Like you are worthy and deserving of telling your story. Your story can be really healing for yourself and other people. So I realized there was kind of a holistic component happening. It wasn't just about the craft. And 
walked her through bit by bit, like how to, how to do this. It was all her words, but just helping her see how to, how to craft and create a narrative arc and then put it together as a book and then get it out into the world. And her book came out, actually, um, she worked diligently, slowly, diligently. Her book came out five months ago, Dee Carr, Diana Carr, it's called The Diplomite. So it's just like one of many stories where I got to see this woman come into her own, tell her story, feel like she was worthy of telling it, and then put it out there. And, and this has happened many, many, many times over where I get to witness a woman telling her story. And what actually ends up happening is that she's taking her pain and the beauty of her life, she's putting it on the page, and she's making sense of it and making meaning of it and then giving it to someone else and creating connections. So it's like, it's such a rewarding experience that that's what I want for any woman who's interested in, in writing and putting writing out into the world. It's not just about the writing. It's about what happens to your, your heart, your soul in the process. Mm, that's so beautiful. Dee Dee Carr, Diana Carr. What was yeah, the title? Diana Carr, The Diplomite. Yeah. So she talked about as a young child, like traveling the world and being able to live in all these different countries. Uh-huh. Her father was a U.S. representative. And so um, she wanted to share how important it is for us to learn about other cultures and other countries. And yeah. Wow, yeah. And there are cool. many, I could list off, I could rattle off so many women whose books have, have just come out like uh, Arlene Falk. She just had a book come out. One of my coaching clients walking on pins and needles about her MS journey and finding kind of holistic healing mm-hmm. on and on it goes, but it, it's just like, wow, these women are taking their pain. They're putting it onto the page and then now it's outside of their body and they've processed it, but then they get to help other women feel less alone. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, and so you mentioned thinly veiled fiction. I wa- I'm wondering, because I'm an aspiring fiction writer myself, I'm wondering, is there a way to, to use that life story, veil it with fiction? Because it's so scary to think about, okay, this is, I'm putting this out there as nonfiction memoir. And then it's not just me and my story, it's my family. You know, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm pulling all of these people into it with me, whether or not they, you know, want to be known as <laughs> having gone through this or being the perpetrator of helping me go through something, you know? So I wonder is, can you use f- fiction writing in that same way? For sure. And the only reason why I said, you know, my, my thinly veiled story was because I didn't realize it at the time. Like I was like, I'm writing fiction. And (laughs) my writing group was like, this is your life. (laughs) There's nothing fictional to it. Uh So I was, I was mostly like tricking myself. Absolutely. You know, it is a genuine concern and anyone who does set out to write creative nonfiction and memoir does have to be very, very mindful in the editing stages of Mm. whose story they're putting out into the world. And I always say, also, you have to understand, are you writing out of revenge in any way? Because that that's a no, no, you know, you, you have to be in a, a very grounded place to be able to put nonfiction out into the world and respect other people's stories as well as put your own out there. So it is, it is a genuine concern. And certainly writing fiction can have this same cathartic 
rewarding effect and process for you. And I think what it comes down to is, is simply a reader will connect with anything, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, as long as there are some universal truths there. And, and a universal truth you know, is what connects us to the story in a human way that no matter what the character's experience is, there's something within that experience that the reader can connect to. And as long as writing has that, doesn't matter the genre, sci-fi, it doesn't matter, fantasy, as long as there's that human element, the reader will connect. You said genre, and I'm currently listening to the audiobook Words Are My Matter by Ursula K. Le Guin. Ooh, I have to check that out. Oh, she talks, I'm, well, I'm in this section right now where she's talking about genre and the issue or the problem with using genre to categorize books. And oh, yeah. as we're, we're kind of discussing the differences between fiction and nonfiction, and this conversation is going through my head with Ursula K. Le Guin's voice in, in the background. So that's something also I would, any aspiring writers in the audience, I'll add a link to this sh- in the show notes for that too. Um, yeah. And I highly recommend you check it out too, if you haven't, it's really interesting. Because there is a problem with categorization and pigeonholing. And yeah, exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want hair with minimal effort? I know I do. Kitsch feels the same way. They upgraded familiar products into game-changing essentials beauty enthusiasts swear by. From satin pillowcases to time-saving towels, Kitsch knows hair care doesn't stop in the shower. I've noticed how much less of my hair gets pulled out in the middle of the night by using my satin pillowcases. And you all know, since I got COVID last year, I've been on a hair journey, so I'm doing everything I can. So let me tell you a little bit about Kitsch. They started in 2010 by selling hair ties door to door. Kitsch is self-funded, female-founded, and now carried in over 20,000 retail locations. Their best sellers include satin pillowcases, caps, and eye masks, which are my favorite. Satin is vegan and cruelty-free, which is also my favorite. And it's not like silk, which was made from silkworms. These are so great for your hair and skin while you sleep. Kitsch is offering you 30% off of your entire order at mykitsch.com forward slash loved. That's right. 30% off of anything and everything at mykitsch spelled M-Y-K-I-T-S-C-H dot com forward slash loved. Mykitsch.com forward slash loved for 30% off of your order. To me, when I look at, and this is like, I have, you know, next to you, zero experience with this. I have a book of poetry. It's called Mm -hmm. The Dark Moon, a book of poetry for Shavasana. But I haven't actually written a memoir or a fiction. So this is coming from that very new, young perspective of writing. (laughs) So everyone take it with a grain of salt. But I guess what I'm wondering is, you know, where do we start writing a novel or a memoir or whatever it is you're thinking about writing that you want to put out there into the world? It feels like such a daunting task. Oh, yeah. And it's such a muscle that we have to learn how to flex and use just like a bicep curl or going for a run, you know, you have this goal of running a marathon, maybe. What a daunting task, right? And if we don't have these coaches and these processes in place, where do we actually start with this? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, it can be so overwhelming. So if anyone listening is an aspiring writer and you're feeling really overwhelmed, you're not alone. This is completely normal. I mean, it is like telling someone to just go start running a marathon if they've had no training. And even if they have, it's still daunting. So one of the things that I learned in graduate school is something that I still teach almost weekly. So we have a community of writers. I, I call it Writer Workout. We meet every Monday online and we I give prompts and we write together just to kind of get through the writer's block. And so when I'm teaching them every Monday on Zoom, one of the first things that we always do is I say, pay attention to what you're paying attention to because that is the access point. So it doesn't matter what you're writing, fiction, nonfiction, poetry, et cetera, your creativity is zoned in on something and it shows that to you by whatever you're paying attention to. And so I have the writers write a list of what am I paying attention to today or what have I been paying attention to lately? And this is super interesting. Just the other day, I wrote down a list and I wrote down cardinals on the list because they're everywhere. I'm in the Midwest right now and it's just like cardinals everywhere. And I'm like, I'm really curious about them. What's going on with them? And you just write a list of these different things that are taking your attention. And those become the access point where you just ask yourself, okay, what am I curious about, about that thing? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, the other day, so we have a trampoline in our backyard that my son and I jump on. And the other day I was, I was meditating after my meditation, I was looking out the windows and I was watching the bird feeder and having this really blissful moment. And then one of the cardinals went to fly to the bird feeder, but instead went into the trampoline and it started frantically circling and it's like caught in the net. And I got panicked for the bird and I wanted to go out there and kind of direct it and shoo it. And I just watched this cardinal circle, circle in the net. And I'm going, fly up, fly up, just look up. It's right there in the sky. Look up, look up. Finally, it did. And it went up. And I was like, that's a metaphor. If I ever saw one, there's something there to it. And how does that relate to my life? And then you take it a step further. How do I feel like a bird caught in a net? And like within five minutes, you've got a story. You've got something there. And so you never know whatever little thing you're paying attention to, how it can open up an entire story for you. So if, if you're just like, how do I begin? And you want a five minute way to begin, start with that. Pay attention to what you're paying attention to. Write a list and see what story might unfold from one of those things. I love this. Wow. That's such a great prompt. I think some days you probably heard of like morning pages or oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yep. mm-hmm. you know, that stream of consciousness writing. Yeah. That's the most familiar journaling practice I've had in my life that's been consistent. And lately it's just turned into making lists of things that I have to do. So mm-hmm. obviously that's what I'm paying attention to. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, I don't know that that necessarily fosters the creative genius that, that at a, to borrow the words from the great Elizabeth Gilbert, uh, the elusive creative genius. Yes. It's kind of like sitting over there in the corner, uh-huh. going like pay attention to me. Otherwise I'm going to go <laughs> to somebody else's house. So I think that's, that's my favorite great, TED talk, by the way. Right. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, so, mm-hmm. I mean, that brought me to tears, that TED talk. Mm-hmm. So good. So let's see. Gosh, I feel like there's so many different directions I want to go. So you mentioned this is a group that you host every Monday. 
Is it open to the public? Can we add links yeah. if people want to join? Yeah. Yeah, it started out. So I've been teaching at universities for almost 14 years now. And Mm -hmm. when the pandemic hit, I was starting to be in the process of planning bigger and bigger writing retreats that I could do during the summertime when I wasn't teaching at the university. Mm -hmm. And then the pandemic hit and I was like, okay, well, there's no meeting in person. So where can I put this creative energy that I have? And I was like, okay, what does my community need? They want to keep writing. They feel alone. So they want to be with each other. And I had always thought, you know, I I go to these workout classes and these yoga classes, like we need workouts for our writing and we need regular accountability. So I said, what if every Monday at noon central, we got on Zoom together, I gave prompts and mini craft talks. And then we wrote for 20, 25 minutes together. And then there was the option to share writing in small breakout groups. And so I started it thinking maybe five people would join. It has grown to 50 people and it's like, and we're there every week together and it's been over two years now. So yes, anyone can join. We could put a link to it. Yeah. Yes. It's it's so it's so great because no matter what you're writing long short, it doesn't matter. It, it's just a way of getting the creative juices flowing for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well and talk to me more about retreats. So I know they're crucial to the work that you do with women. It's essential to self-care. I'm wondering what a is it a writing retreat? Does it include meditation and instruction? What does that yeah. look like? Yeah. So finally now we're able to do retreats again. So back in the day, my husband and I used to just do these um, like Saturday and Sunday during the day retreats at our home. My husband's a chef. And so he would do all the cooking for it. And then I would lead the women through writing prompts and then give them time to write. And then during our lunch break, we would go for a walk at a nearby park. And I always wanted to do something bigger and, and longer so that we could, you know, stay together for a few days. And so finally, in the last few months, when it seemed like the future was getting more and more hopeful for gathering again. We organized two for this summer. So um, so we're doing one over Memorial Day weekend in Door County, Wisconsin, which is my favorite place to be in the summertime. It's right on Lake Michigan and it's five days and it's writing and meditating and nature walks and yoga nidra and really amazing meals. So, and that's for women writers. And then I'm doing another one in August in Camden, Maine, which is my other favorite place to be in the summer. My husband's from the East coast. And so, but essentially like besides my deep love for hosting retreats, I am a huge supporter and believer in attending them and whatever is feasible for people. So I started going on quote unquote retreat on any Tuesday morning when I would take myself out to breakfast. And I would consider that my retreat time where I would take myself out to a diner. We lived in the city at the time in Chicago. And so we'd go to this diner where they served the best eggs and they were like five bucks. And and I would just sit there with this, like they would put out a nice plate and the eggs. And then I would get a mug of tea and the booth was always really comfy. And I would bring my journal and leave all the technology. And I could just be with myself and by myself for 45 minutes or an hour. And that was my method of retreat. And whether people are are taking a week-long one or a morning to themselves, 
why I think it's so important is because we all talk about like following our hearts. Like I want to follow my heart. I want to follow my intuition. One of the things that I missed for so many years and didn't understand was that in order to follow our hearts, we have to first give them room to speak. What are they saying? It's like we're following, but we don't even have the directions. And so we only get that knowing and those directions when we make time for ourselves, whether it's in journaling or meditating or being in silence and stillness in nature. And that's why I think retreat is so important whether it's an hour or a week long or even more, it's giving ourselves time and space to go. This is one of the things that I, I journal about. What's my deepest knowing about this situation? What's my deepest longing? What do I desire? These aren't questions that on a regular basis we ask ourselves and listen for the answer to. So that's why the journal time or the stillness time is really important for creating the space to give ourselves direction and knowing. Yeah, I love that. I'm thinking about kind of like, uh, so in Yoga Nidra, there's something called Sankalpa, where uh-huh. you set this goal, right? And it's repeated for a period of time. And so one of the things about Sankalpa in terms of goal is this period of time, it's very specific to time, at least in my understanding of Sankalpa, feel free to add your color and flavor to that as well as a, as a fellow yoga nidra instructor. But yeah. I'm wondering, as it relates to the practice of journaling and these prompts, oftentimes I think we get overwhelmed by, okay, I have to write something new each day. I have to have a mm. new prompt each day. Mm. What do you think about using one prompt, kind of like a Sankalpa, and asking yourself that daily for a period of time? Would it mm. work similarly? What do you Oh, think? yeah. I do the same exercise in my journal every single morning. So I never put pressure on myself to create something new or do something different. I use the same process every single morning, whether I have 10 minutes or I have 35. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is I write a letter from my wiser self to my present self. So I discovered this years ago when I was in a time of uncertainty. We were living in Massachusetts and this beautiful old farmhouse. We had just had our son. And at a time when I thought I would feel really, really fulfilled, I felt deeply alone. And I asked my husband if we could move back to Chicago, where I'm from. And it seemed like an illogical step. Like you don't move to the city when you have a one-year-old. You move out of the city when you have a one-year-old. And so we moved to Chicago. Our house in Massachusetts wasn't selling. I was waiting on news about whether I would get this professor job I had applied for. I was in the middle of submitting my manuscript to publishers. I didn't know if they would say yes. It was a time of deep uncertainty. And I pulled out my journal and instinctively I started writing and it was unlike anything else I had written. And what I realized after I read it is that I was writing a letter from my wiser self, as I'll call her, to my present self. And basically what I was saying is, it's all going to be all right. (laughs) I wrote, take a breath, mama, slow it down, honey, it's all going to be okay. And so ever since then, I've been doing this journal exercise where I just, I start out I create a little ceremony. I call it the five C's. I create a ceremony where I just light a couple of candles. I sit on my cushion. 
I greet myself with compassion. That's the second C. I say always like, hi, sweetheart. How are you, sweetheart? And then I connect with myself. I say, you're going through it, aren't you? I just acknowledge whatever is going on. I see myself on the page and then I do a clearing out. Here's what you can let go of. And then I ask for clarity. I just ask, what's my next right step? And I wait for the answer. And it's a dialogue with myself. And then I close. And this letter could be one paragraph or it could be pages and pages. And every time I feel like what I'm essentially getting at is my song culpa, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I recommend that if, if people are wondering how, what do I even do in the journal? Am I supposed to be writing a diary of what I did yesterday. Some people feel like there are shoulds. Here's what I should be writing in here. And instead, I kind of flip that and I think about the journal as a page where you can explore how you truly feel, not how you should be feeling or what you should be doing. And the letter from your wiser self is a way to do that. Mm, That's so beautiful. I love that. Thank you for sharing. I want to be mindful of time. And I could go on and on and continue to ask questions after. I mean, this is, I can't believe how quickly this is. <laughs> I know. So, so fun to just sit here with you and listen to you talk. So I guess what I'm wondering, is there any last thing that you want to share? Any key takeaway for audience members? Hmm. Yeah. I'm just trying to listen for what I'm paying attention to. Uh-huh, yes. And I'll just I'll just kind of go I had nothing really prepared. So this is what I'm thinking about right now. I've been thinking a lot about grind culture and productivity culture and the kind of hustle hamster wheel everyone is on. And what I've been thinking a lot about lately for women especially is how do we incorporate rest or the opposite of whatever the the grind culture is. How can we do that? And when I talk about rest, for me, rest doesn't look like sleeping. Mm -hmm. Rest is whatever is replenishing to my heart. So sometimes that's meditation. Sometimes it's yoga nidra. Sometimes it's journaling. Sometimes it's just going outside and noticing. So sometimes I, I, I feel like I want to step away and get off of this treadmill that we're on, but I don't know how. And so if you're a woman who's out there and feeling like, I know self-care is important. I know rest is important, but I just don't know how to exist in a different way. What do I even do? Like, it feels so inaccessible. Sometimes what I do as a trick is I tell myself to go outside and then I say, okay, you want a job? You're so desperate to have a job. Your job right now is to notice one new thing on this block. And then the next block, your your job is to notice one new thing. (laughs) That's it. And when I come back from 20 minutes of that, and I've noticed the beauty around me, it just feels restful in a way that it's like a breath of fresh air. So I'm finding more and more that with each year that passes, I'm approaching 40 in a bit. And with each year that passes, I'm trying to find a way to kind of undo everything that I've, I've created. (laughs) I'm trying to undo 
all of the the things that I've built up and have been clinging on to so desperately, I'm trying to undo that. And the only way that I've been able to do that is by giving myself the permission to do the opposite of grind culture. And that's what my major focus over this past year has been, nurturing my nervous system, getting myself grounded, trying to incorporate rest, whatever that looks like. So I guess what I'll say to listeners is just a kind of final thought is, Tracy Stanley asked this question and she says, who would you be if you were rested? Who would you be if you were truly deeply rested? Mm -hmm. Whenever my life feels in disarray, that's what I think about. So that's what's taking my attention right now. And maybe it's something that listeners can ask themselves today. Oh, yeah. That's so beautiful. I'm asking myself. It's something that's been a theme in my life. I'm glad you brought that up. And so many of us can resonate with, you know, whatever happened in your world during the pandemic, it felt to me like there was a slowdown for a period of time and that juxtaposition of having to go back to the grind culture now that things are opening up and we realize we can work from kind of wherever that there's almost it feels like even more pressure to perform and to make progress I say that in quotes because more and more I'm kind of like well what does progress even mean progress for the sake of progress why why are we pushing ourselves so hard and and what is the purpose behind that and let's get more intentional about why we're doing what we are doing and so I just think that's such a beautiful way to close and such sage advice thank you so much Nadine I really appreciate your time thanks for being with us today Oh, I've loved this. You asked amazing questions. I love chatting with you. Thank you so much. Likewise, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Radically Loved Podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie, on Instagram at Rosie Acosta, and Twitter at Rosie Acosta. By the way, this is original music by DJ Taz Rashid. You can follow DJ Taz on Spotify and check out the best music for yoga and meditation. This has been a Mod Pod Studio production. Check them out at www.modpodstudio.com. <laughs>